Thank you for listening to this episode of Last Born in the Wilderness. If you would like to learn more about this podcast, go to the website lastborninthewilderness.com. Everything you need to know will be on that website. If you'd like to drop Patrick a line and have your message featured, there are two ways to do that. For those in the United States, you can call the phone number 208-918-2837 and leave a voicemail message up to three minutes in length. Or you can drop an audio file by following the instructions through the link in the description of this episode. Here's the episode. comfortable to hold. This is a re- reporter's microphone. It's nice. I feel like a, you know, like you're out in front of a TV camera <laughs> reporting on the scene of a car accident in Los Angeles or something. <laughs> no, I thought it was going to be more of a vibe of, you know, us talking to each other. But now that I'm holding this, it feels a little bit less of just a talk and more of a proper interview. Yeah, I get this is This is half of how I get into the right mood. <laughs> Of doing an interview, <laughs> if you have a microphone in front of you, it like puts you into the right, right state of mind and gives you the right, <laughs> you know, you feel important. And especially <laughs> if you have this, I can hear myself. Do you uh, want to hear it? No, thank you. you don't I don't like want to hear, hear myself. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> so normally I do these introductions by myself because I'm the only one doing the interview, of course. Mm-hmm. But uh, you and I have collaborated on two interviews so far, and we did it at an event in Rio last month on December 20th. Yeah. More Love, Less Capital. Yes. We did produce a little teaser video with Andre. A Christmas special. Christmas special, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, where he uh, talks about Jesus a little bit. seemed appropriate for the season, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, that event, we did two interviews and, uh, you, uh, you helped with the questions, but you were the interpreter for that. They were speaking Brazilian Portuguese. Of course, I don't speak Brazilian Portuguese. So anyway, Mina, thank you for helping me out so far and doing all the things that you've done. Thank you. I think they were happy you were there as well. You think so? Yeah, for sure. I wasn't imposing myself in the event. They were really busy and the event is definitely not made for us yeah that's also the best thing about the event right yeah it was not really made for the media or to it's not a the type of protest that's done for awareness raising awareness raising yeah yeah i think it's an event done for just actual work and what they call it i guess building a base a strong base and they were feeding homeless people yeah, and doing a lot really. of events with kids. And there was like all-day activities and activities, but, you know, basically like different things throughout the day, different events. And yeah. it was uh, it was amazing. I've been attending this event since 2013 when it started. I think the Christmas special is just a, a small part of it that we already posted, but what's going to come after, what's about to come, actually, <laughs> this, this is episode. the introduction for <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> yeah, right. It, it's more, it's broader, right? It's something that can be applied to, uh, of course, 
activism in general and resistance in general mm-hmm. because even though it happens at Christmas and it's kind of a Christmas party um, it's really representative of a really unique and interesting type of activism it's not a protest it's not a riot it's not made for you know middle class people who have Christmas dinners every sure, year right, with right. a banquet or whatever. Mm-hmm. But of course, everyone can attend. We were there even though the event wasn't for us and we we're very welcomed, right? And they're yeah, happy yeah. to have us and we participate. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. One thing was different this year is that there was no debate. The first time I went, it was a really powerful debate. We can put a link to it maybe. Okay. From Favela Non Cicala, it's uh, someone from... An organization called the Favela Doesn't Stay Silent. Mm-hmm. And he delivered a really powerful speech this day. Like, it was in 2013. And that was the the moment when I was just really taken by the event. I was really moved by it and inspired. And, yeah, it caused a ruckus in the city of yeah. Rio. It caused yeah. a lot of, and that's what she's going to talk about, I guess, what happened from then on. Yeah, well, so the first person that we're going to uh, feature that we first spoke to was with uh, Andre Miguez. I'm saying that, I hope yeah. I'm saying that correctly. Andre, correct. Andre. Yeah. yeah, I always get the accent wrong. <laughs> Andre, okay. Am I saying that wrong again? No, it's fine. Mm, yeah, whatever. Um, he's one of the uh, organizers of the event. He also is the co-organizer for Independent Collective Media or Collective Independent Media. Yeah, he's a member of Miki. Miki, okay. And it's yeah. a a big activist organization and also started in 2013 with a lot of other movements it was kind of a an explosion of independent media Mm -hmm. a lot of them are still active today the most famous being media ninja ninja media ninja media but they've become very institutionalized and and really big miki stayed uh, a little underground it's still active um and there are a lot of others as well. Because we yeah. saw the importance of autonomous media. Because we couldn't trust mainstream media. As we talk about, Elisa also brings it up in this interview, how Brazilian mainstream media is not to be trusted. They, yeah. they basically ruined her life. Yeah. So that also speaks to how important it was to have another type of media other people who could actually show what was happening in the protests and what the protests were were really about. Right. I think this distrust of the media is still alive today, but in a different way. Glenn Greenwald has really kind of deconstructed that a little. (laughs) He's he's become a conciliator of of medias. Yeah, well, when, I don't know, when he moved to Brazil and, and then, you know, The Intercept is as big a media organization in the United States as it is in Brazil, I think. It's really big, but it's not just the Intercept. It's a big media platform that does work to empower or, you know, do it does work for activists. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to help activists. So it is a big media that tries to empower people who are usually silenced by mass media. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, he does try to... He has friends with big media. Mm-hmm. He knows how to play with them. For example, Veja. Uh, Elisa talks about how she was we're the speaking cover. About Elisa yeah, we were Co- speaking about this magazine because it was—it's like a right-wing, very conservative, horrible magazine. 
in Brazil. And she was the cover of it, very sensationalistic, making her a little devil, you know, yeah. really demonizing her. And she was the cover of it back then. But now... <laughs> Andy, my dog, sorry about that. I don't care. <laughs> so she... She wasn't happy about that. So she's an activist that wasn't very happy about Veja. But Glenn is someone, for example, who managed to reach Veja. Mm. He became so powerful in, in a way to empower people like Elisa that he could, he, he could gather such evidence, journalistically speaking. He could gather such interesting evidence through investigative journalism that he almost forced these con like conservative right-wing media to change their rhetoric. Mm, really? Yeah. So, for example, with the Lava Jato, the Operation Car Wash mm -hmm. stuff, and how he uncovered all of, this, all of this corruption behind this investigation that arrested Lula and everything, he gathered such evidence that he really pressured this mainstream media. It's like, look, you can't continue... Uh, disseminating this information because it's wrong and they really they really changed the way they talk about Bolsonaro really even yeah because of of Glenn so that's why Glenn for one side he's controversial because yes he does interact and negotiate and and has conversations with people we want nothing to do with yes he does kind of he has achieved a lot with it <laughs> it's It's impressive. Well, he's definitely, when he gets on, this is the thing that pisses people off on the left, I guess you could say. Because um, in the United States, you know, the equivalent of uh, Fantastico? Fantastico? Fantastico. Is that their name? Yeah. They're kind of a right-wing... Literally the word for fantastical. <laughs> <laughs> there's like, there's nothing more sensationalistic than that, right? Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I don't know if it's the, if you could call it the equivalent, but in, you know, the U.S. Fox News, big right-wing media channel, it's huge, really influential, and it probably played a big part in how Trump got elected, and I mean, you know, all of that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you got uh, Tucker Carlson's show, um, who's a big media personality, pundit on Fox News, and, you know, Glenn Greenwald appears on that show oh, yeah. every so often. and Controversial. Yeah, but, you know, I will say... I'm not trying to apologize for it. I don't know what I think about it, to be honest with you. I can't say that I like it, but mm -hmm. he is able to reach an audience that I think often people don't want to address or talk to. So maybe he, he's doing what he's doing in the U.S., what he's doing in Brazil, which is trying to address yeah. the misinformation or disinformation that is in a lot of these right-wing media organizations. Yeah. So I could be, I could be wrong, um, but it is interesting to see him at least attempt that. That's what it looks like to me, at least. Yeah, I also think it's interesting. Yeah. But I also think it's interesting to support mainstream, like, support autonomous Yeah, that's, media. that's, that's more important. Andre, Andre that's is really interesting That's in more important, for sure. So, yeah, we start off, we're going to have his interview, and he explains a little bit of the event and how it works um, and the spirit of it. And then we move to Elisa Cuadros. But this inter this, these interviews were done in the middle of a very chaotic event. Yeah, that's why was, if yeah. you listen, especially if you watch the videos, because we produced some videos of the interviews, mm -hmm. you'll see 
that it was a bit chaotic. I tried. We tried our best to cut out some of the chaos. Yeah. And then you have interpreting and all so of it. So it's going to Yeah, gonna you come were interviewing. Across. I was interpreting, so I was trying I was mediating, but there were people, you know, Elisa for example is an organizer, so there are people coming up to try and talk to her about something that's happening that she needs to take care of, you know, and they're like, "Oh, you know, <laughs> not now." And <laughs> and towards the end, I mean, the interview ends because a marching band comes in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's she just like starts this dancing y- yeah, and Yeah, so off. she's like, "All right, I can't do this right now." And, and I'm like, "Okay." Yeah. yeah, this is but this is what's interesting about this event. Uh, it's it's a cultural thing. It's a practical thing about, you know, haircuts and clothes mm-hmm. for homeless people that don't usually have access to it. Dinner, like a big Christmas dinner, mm-hmm. which is really nice. And presents. They give out presents. Yeah. And they go through this whole process before, months before, of collecting donations for food and presents. So it's a whole operation. And it's really beautiful. It is. I think, I think they're really inspiring. Uh, and, and really well organized. They've been doing this for seven years. Yeah. So it's very cool. Seventh edition. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting to see how I am. I've never been in anything like this. I'm speaking as somebody who is an outsider, like in more ways than one, coming here and, you know, and they were, they were welcoming and they wanted mm-hmm. me to have, you know, both of us to have whatever we needed to be able to film and take photos of whatever we wanted. People very, very much wanted to participate in that. Yeah. You, you did some amazing photography that we shared. Yeah. Um, leading up to it uh, with some families and some portraits that you did. It was I pretty I liked having a proper incredible. camera for once. Yeah. I, was, <laughs> I have to thank my friend Eli for lending that to yes. me before I left. Shout out to you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I was listening to your podcast. I don't know which one was it. About where you respond as... Um, like it's the first time you respond saying that you're in Rio and you said you're getting used to how mm. different things are here and mm-hmm. it's hot you're sunburned and you're all bitten with yeah. a bunch of I don't know many many insects are biting have, you it's not just I don't <laughs> think it's just mosquitoes it's I like have different kinds of you. bites I have different kinds of bites on me yeah that's true yeah. I haven't gotten sick though I got yeah. hives I got hives that's good the first week but that's it that's yeah. fine it could be much worse it so could be way worse that's for actually sure great. but so you're talking about you know you're responding to a call. I remember now. You're responding to a call and yeah. you're saying, oh, I was listening to it and I was in the car, in the <laughs> car from the airport in Sao Paulo and it was really intense. Yeah. And then being here is like quite different and intense. This intensity, I, I'm pretty sure it was present in this event, right? Yes. Like it was an intense Absolutely, event. Absolutely, yeah. the energy. Very intense. But From everywhere, the traffic is intense. The city is intense. The heat is in- intense. The heat's intense. The traffic <laughs> is intense. Just the general, like being from the United States and being from a conservative part of the United States, just all of these things, like the different shells of that have to break for me to be present in an environment like that, you know. So that yeah, absolutely. Like that's that's a that's a real thing for me. You I know? wanted to talk about this intensity because in our inter- our last interview, do you remember about Villa Mimosa? Mm-hmm. And I think I brought up something about you coming here and how the point of it happening here. We're not just talking about something. We were there. I'm here, and we were mm-hmm. talking about this, right? Mm-hmm. I can actually bring you, and you can feel the energy, and you can feel this intensity. Mm-hmm. Here, mm-hmm. 
So how does he, how is it for you, like the difference between, you know, having a conversation and actually experiencing the intensity of what we're talking about? Well, the interview itself, so, <clears throat> so when you, yeah, when I'm doing interviews online and there's like, you're sitting in a room in a, you're on, the, you're just like having a phone call. So you have a certain comfort, you know, in that. It's, it's easy. But we were standing on the steps, basically, of this old building in... City Hall. City Hall in Rio. And there's, like, music and people walking around us. Some people didn't even see that we were filming something. They're walking in front of us. There's little kids that were trying to, like, get us to, like, hey, you're not doing this thing or that Participate thing. Participate in yeah. the directing. Yeah, they were trying to direct <laughs> you to be in the camera. Yeah. We were like, no, no, she's not supposed to be in it because it's, like, technically you're the interpreter or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, all these things and... and um, People were, you know, interrupting the interview to talk to the organizers or, um, and then you have the other layer of it, which is, you know, doing the actual interview itself is, I've never done an interview involving interpretation. Mm -hmm. So I'm speaking, you interpret it, you say it to them and they're like, okay, then they understand. And then they start to speak. And of course they speak a lot more than I do. And so then you have to, they have to stop. You speak to me. So trying to string all the things that you just said to me when there's gaps in between and I'm trying to maintain eye contact with them and trying to be like, I'm engaging with you, but I'm also not really understanding what you're saying. Mm-hmm. It's like trying to patch together their body language with what you're saying to me. Mm-hmm. And it was really challenging. Yeah. That's why these interviews partly are shorter because it takes twice as long to do, you know, when you have yeah. interpretation. Um, and yeah, it was a very, it was, it was intense as an interviewer. It's, it's, it was difficult, I will say, you know, I mean, I appreciated the challenge and more, more retrospectively than at the moment I was like feeling kind of overwhelmed, but, mm-hmm. um, it was good, you know, <laughs> it was good for me. I was like, this is what I I, I chose to do this and now I'm like actually experiencing it. I didn't know what it would be like. Yeah. But I'm here and I'm doing it and you supported me the whole way. You like helped me yeah. so much through the entire process. And I could tell that they both kind of saw that I was like, all right, this fucking guy is <laughs> trying to do something here. So it was, it, they were sympathetic to my situation, I think. Oh, yeah. It was really chaotic for them as well. I think it's also overwhelming for them. Of course. It's yeah. an intense event for them to organize. Um, but, but I mean, more the intense energy. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about this energy because. This intensity is very much what we have in Brazil. Mm-hmm. It's in a way what people are attracted to when they talk about Brazil, what they're interested in, the energy, you know, almost a touristic thing. You know, yeah. they have carnival and the beach and fun and parties and sex. You know, there's this and the, it's the energy of a football game and the goal, you know, yeah. and the grief of loss. It's always intensity. Intensity of That's emotion, yeah. so much of what Brazil, in a way, almost sells as a tourist attraction, mm-hmm. this intensity. Mm-hmm. It's no wonder that we had these big events like the Olympics and the World Cup here, which instigated all of these protests that instigated the, also the beginning of more or less capitalism yeah, event. yeah. 
because we do want to capitalize on this intensity. Mm-hmm. Of course, fuck that, right? Like capitalizing on on people's feelings, but it's interesting to think about why are we like this and what does this mean? Because it's complicated when people come here and and they in a way exotify it, they they fetishize it in a way this this energy that Brazil offers, that Brazil is known for. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, there is a, a thing that Westerns, Westerners, Europeans especially, feel superior to. It's mm-hmm. almost like something that they want to tame. Mm-hmm. They want to civilize. Mm-hmm. It's an energy that's uh, very often interpreted as uncivil. Mm-hmm. Uncivil, is that a word? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Uncivil, uncivilized. So it goes, it runs deep. Mm-hmm. And it, for me, it's also an energy that's hard to explain. That, like, with us, I try to explain to you. I've tried to explain to read or talk to my friends in Europe. You know, the energy that's what it's like to be here and deal with people. For example, Elisa deals with these homeless people, hundreds of homeless people. And it's a very particular energy it's an energy of you know we don't get to look away from our negative feelings mm-hmm. we don't have that luxury mm-hmm. to just like i want to take a pause like i'm gonna go to my quiet place and take a break mm-hmm. you know these people let's start they're homeless <laughs> they don't have sometimes the opportunity or that safe space sure ever so some i think there's a little bit of this tension of us not being able to we don't have the luxury of just not looking at something negative. All right. So we're like overwhelmed by it. But the positive side is that that also brings us to appreciate the good stuff even more. Right. So there's like, we can't avoid the negative stuff. So we grieve and we suffer and we're really dramatic. And that's why we have soap operas and all this <laughs> drama all the time. But then we have this like intense joy as well. Sure. Like, it's intensely joyful. Carnival is like almost too much joy. It's like calm down, you know, I wanna go home and like <laughs> just watch a movie. <laughs> it's it's just intensity on all extremes. Yeah. And it's something I'm proud of. It's it's something I when I lived in Europe. Oh, they were always like, Oh, it's you're really intense. Like, oh, and then I'm gonna group of Brazilian people in a European context and my friends said wow it's really intense eh? just, uh, talking intensely with each other it's not bad not fighting or anything just intense feelings being exchanged and it shocks people mm-hmm. it shocks people from abroad I, I can see that a lot yeah it does yeah you want me to think say something about that <laughs> Because <laughs> I agree with what you're saying. I just... Uh... Well, because you you said intensity in a technical way. Like, it was intense because there were people interrupting and you had to hear someone mm-hmm. interpreting. It was intense in traffic and it was intense here because of the heat. I meant more like your experience as the intensity of... Of Brazil? Of this sense that I just described. Yeah, it's um, it's forced me to. It's like you, I felt like I got plucked out of this cultural 
emotional field of consciousness, I guess you could say, <laughs> where that doesn't happen. When people yell, when people are intense in the sense you're talking about, it's associated with negativity. So the whole time, my whole life, that's what it's been associated as. And then you take that person, you put them in a country where that's not associated. It's not seen as a bad thing to have a heated discussion every day about whatever, you know, anything. Um, it's like my brain has been wired a certain way and my emotional reactions have been conditioned. And so to spend, now I've been here a month and it's starting to not trigger a fight or flight response in me. <laughs> Just barely maybe where I'm like, stop turning, stop, stop recoiling inside yourself and shutting down when something makes you uncomfortable because that's been my response my whole life and that's partly because of my family life and my just it is cultural it's the united states it's being white it's being a man in the heteronormative sense you know it's all of these things in a in a ball like a nutshell (laughs) and that's what i've been my whole life and so it's been really challenging and it's not meant to be i mean i I think it often comes off and it it, it has come off as judgment and you know then i think about it later and i'm like no that's not how i should have responded to that that's not how i should have talked about that um but nonetheless it doesn't change the fact that i feel uncomfortable a lot and um oh we're also uncomfortable a lot so <laughs> trust me, you're not the only one uncomfortable. Right, yeah. We are uncomfortable too, man. Every day, <laughs> every every time we listen to our president talk, it makes us uncomfortable. And even in that event, it's it's funny. Like, yes, we were uncomfortable. It was uncomfortable. We were dealing with equipment, and it was really loud. And it's like, hot. It's hot, and yeah, it, it's uncomfortable. But it's also so much joy. You see these beautiful, this like beautiful music, like music and dancers. No, the music was amazing. I've never had any like it was overwhelming. How beautiful and intense it was. It's almost like we need the bad to have the good there too. You know, like the beautiful music and the beautiful dancing. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) And the beautiful dancing, and it's it's not just you. You know, just because you are from the United States that you feel uncomfortable with certain things. We feel uncomfortable here too about a lot of things. Like I feel uncomfortable with public transport. I feel uncomfortable in traffic. You, people who live here and drive every day, my roommate for example, they're also uncomfortable. She was telling me today about how yeah. the air conditioning went out in her car and she has to drive to Rio every <laughs> few times a week to do her work and she's like, oh, it's already fucking bad enough <laughs> and now I don't have AC and I don't have my music doesn't work in my car. It's like, I need that to just survive so it's the intense. craziness of the traffic. Exactly. Yeah. So it's intense and it's also uncomfortable for us. So we understand you're uncomfortable with it because we're also. Um, so, yeah. And, and there are worse things to be uncomfortable by, you know, like not having a senior car. Like there are people who struggle with way more. Sure. And that's what we saw in this event. There are people who are much more uncomfortable with a lot more serious things. Yes. And that's what we're dealing with here, right? We can we can have problems here and there, but there are certain things that people should never have to struggle with. We should never have to struggle with a family, a homeless family. Like, we should never have to struggle with those women that I took photos of. Mm-hmm. Those are women I, I took family portraits of. Yeah. 
and and these children like i'm sorry they they just you want to talk about discomfort right they are living on the streets this is a child living on the streets yeah and the women are beautiful they're smiling they're happy you know the, the yeah. family portraits are so beautiful yeah. and they're so beautiful and they're just so and they're just so i don't know there's so much joy there yeah of course in so much discomfort mm-hmm. so it's really inspiring this this event and I think Elisa talks a little bit about this this privilege the white privilege and how she's dealt with it and what this means so how she relates to this I guess you know she is also a mother yeah she's but she's white and she's middle class she has her privileges and working with these women who are mothers and don't have certain privileges and how this dialogue is important mm-hmm. and how this kind of events needs to happen and this kind of collaboration needs to happen right yeah they're doing really I, th- I think like courageous work that no one really well not no one but there's not many people that I can think of that it will stick their neck out like that and deal with the stresses of because, like, I think especially Elisa's story, she shares some of the things she experienced as a political prisoner, as somebody who was escaping the state and the way the media and the militia, like, all the powers of Brazil. Yeah. You know, which are yeah. violent and powerful and, and intimidating. And she's, like... Gun to the head, out of the state kind of thing. Yes. Talk about discomfort, oh, right? fuck. <laughs> And I'm just like, oh my god! I like I didn't, you know, I was just standing in front of her. And I was just like, this is insane what she went through, and she's still probably going through stuff. The re- the the ripple effects of that experience she had since 2013. So these are incredible people. They're doing really brave work, and yes. So I was really lucky and really happy that you hooked me up <laughs> you made it happen you know <laughs> make all this happen <sighs> anyway on that note. do we have anything else you want to talk about no okay <laughs> well you know the next two interviews you're going to hear first is with uh andre 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 <laughs> Fuck, i suck at this i suck at i suck at the language i'm not good at this uh andre it's an- fine andre it's understandable whatever and then with uh, Elisa so you'll hear first it'll and there'll be you interpreting during it I tried to do it the best I could this is my first time putting something like this together so you're gonna hear their voice but your voice is gonna be over them I tried my best to match what they're saying to what you're saying so that the timing was correct so you'll get the idea of what they're saying at least for English speaking people which is the you know the majority of my audience I think (laughs) if not all of it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then the second one will be with Elisa and she'll tell her story and um, what she's gone through. And then I would just ask people that are uh, listening, you know, this is the kind of the fullness of the experience. But I would ask that you watch the video of the two interviews um, and there's also going to be photographs. And I'll probably have that on my website and yeah. with the, everything will be on the website. But you'll have stuff on your end as well. Is it going to be on... Maybe other websites too. Other websites It'll be as all well. over. It'll be all over the place. But anyway, starting with this. Yes. So, but the, sneak uh, peek. Yeah. 
but the uh yeah everything will be out all the information will be in the description of this episode so i'm just really grateful i got to do this and uh whatever else comes in the next month or so yeah and, and happy uh new year right i guess good yeah, start 2020 yeah. is Woo. already off to a great start <laughs> is that what i said 2020 Did i don't you even say, know you just anymore said new year you just said a uh, great say new 2020? year i don't even know what year is like i'm i don't even we're understand in, what's happening we're already in 2020 you know <laughs> And it's, already, not been a, it's been a rough ride so far. I don't so know what, what's going on. But Environmental crisis and go. World War III. You there know, you go. Just the t- two things that we need to start off this Welcome. new decade or whatever. Yay. <laughs> anyway, enjoy these two interviews. My name is Andrea André Miguez. I'm a filmmaker and member of the Independent Collective Media. It's a collective of activist media, which is active in the streets of Rio de Janeiro, São Paulo, and parts of Brazil. How long have you been involved with this event? The event started in 2013, and it's in its seventh edition. It starts originally when there is an occupation of the municipal city hall of Rio de Janeiro. People occupied the city hall, and a relationship was formed with the homeless community of the area because they started to participate in the occupation. And from this relationship of mutual love between the members of the Occupy the city hall and the homeless people of the area, and that's when this process started. The amount of homeless people in Brazil, with the change in government, and the ascension of the right-wing government, it grew in an absurd way, in a way that the activists and people who live in better conditions have to find ways to integrate themselves and look for something to do for these people who are on the streets. Okay, Uh, could you talk about what happened in 2013 a little bit? In 2013, these people did the city hall occupation. They were profoundly persecuted by the state. They were sued, arrested, and this didn't get any better, it just got worse. And now with Bolsonaro in power, the process of persecution against activists and independent media in this country has only grown. So under in 2013, uh, you had a leftist, typically leftist president. PT party was in power with Rousseff. It was a left-wing government that had a lot of concessions with the right. One of these concessions was the persecution against autonomous activists. This was proven to be wrong politics. Because of this, the right ended up ascending even more. The event is at Christmas because originally Christmas, Jesus effectively wasn't a religious leader. He was much more a revolutionary leader. And Christmas lost its essence. It became a party of capital. That's why it's called More Love, Less Capital. Uh, activist media grew a lot in Brazil from 2013. However, the political persecution and the lack of support on the side of the organizations made so that this kind of activism decreased. But it's a very strong movement in Brazil, in all of Brazil and Latin America. The event happens once a year. People are here interacting, socializing. But this relationship is something that happens all year long. People are here, they're with us somewhere with them. Talk about the uh, anti-terrorism law that came into effect in 2013 and how that affected your ability to organize if you're still able to organize in the face of legislation. 
Sim, a lei, a lei, yeah, na verdade, in fact, a lei this law, the law of international security, comes before this period, 2013. With the big events of the Olympics and the World Cup, they had to increase the power of this law. And we suffered these consequences on our skins. We were sued, there were plenty of people who were arrested. Elisa spent six months in hiding. And what we want is the radicalization of democracy. We want a real democracy, not a fascistic democracy as we have in Brazil. Uh, would you say that the left has become fractured and unable to organize considering what happened since 2013 or is it more unified since then? It's definitely fractured and it's disorganized, especially in the institutionalized left. But I believe that the true left is not the left that's inside the palaces. And yes, the people who are here on the streets making the real socialization happen. Uh, under Bolsonaro, what are the next steps that you think are for the left? Do you think that there's an ability for them to organize with the, the anti-establishment and establishment left? I believe so. I think it's possible. But you have to have the consciousness that it's not through the formal democracy. And yes, through the street democracy, the democracy of the streets, that will have the strength to take down Bolsonaro. If the left really tries to reaffirm its alliances with the base, with the people, with the population, the poorest of the population, that's the way the left can organize itself to take down Bolsonaro. Do you have any faith in the electoral process of getting Bolsonaro out of power and that's making it better for the left? Or do you see the same problems under a leftist, a leftist uh, government? Yeah, exactly. Many times a left that arrives in power just to have class conciliation, it's a false left. How would this event help organize people outside of the establishment power of the left in order to further the politics of anti-authoritarianism? This is not a process that's going to happen overnight. It's going to happen slowly. It's through educational transformation, popular education, popular empowerment. It's from there that, yes, we can one day get to power, and from there to change the legitimacy of power. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you. My name is Elisa Quadros. How are you feeling? About? Just in general, just in general, how are you feeling? How are you feeling here right now? This is the time of the year I like the most. This project became the project of my life, which is a project we do since 2013. It started really small with 50 homeless people, and nowadays we don't even know how many there are. Uh, could you tell us, uh, so I'm in, from the United States, we may not know very much about your story for where I'm from. Uh, yeah, I think it's very important though that we understand what you've gone through and what you're working on, what you've worked on in the past. If you could give us a little bit of information on that. I graduated in film. I was a producer for 15 years. My mother is an activist from the military dictatorship. She's a survivor, a teacher. Since I was small, I participated in social movements. I was president of some student groups. I never got involved in activism the way I am involved since 2013. So my life changed completely because of a sentimental reason as well, because the energy of 2013 was an energy that was overwhelming 
of change and questioning. And after I was arrested in 2013, I was used as what we say in Brazil, bode expiatório, a scapegoat. So this changed my life completely. Because I was put in the main newspapers of Brazil. I was at the cover of Veja, a right-wing magazine. Very famous, but completely sensationalistic. I was in Fantástico a bunch of times. I was massacred. I had to leave the state three times because of threats from militia. Because of an occupation that was happening here at the City Hall, which was Occupy City Hall, which started this whole project. And then I never stopped. I'm involved in all types of struggles involving human rights, always with the movements of homeless people. If there's anything, any movement happening in the favelas, I support it. I'm not from the favela, I don't live in a favela, I think it's really important to state that. I'm white, and I have my privileges, and this is also something that inside Brazilian activism, we try to deconstruct and to put that the white middle class has privileges, and we see more than half of the Brazilian population in misery and being assassinated by the police every day, and I start understanding myself as a human being, a Brazilian citizen, having the responsibility to fight for these struggles. Why do you think that you were specifically targeted for political persecution, for becoming a political prisoner? This is something I tried to analyze for many years, for seven years now. And I don't have really an explanation, I think, at least in my point of view that 2013 had its movements of occupations. There was the Cabral occupation, which was from our governor, who's been arrested for many years already, his militia. And it was from these occupations that from within Brazilian politics and the municipal city halls in syndicates, the majority of our politicians are militia and assassins. So, since we were very active in these occupations, which were the occupations that instigated these denunciations against these robbers, these assassins, I was one of the ones picked. Brazil is a really conservative country, right? Sexist, homophobic, classist. So you have a white girl, middle class, and that way you can get a big chunk of activists to go against me. You can get this white girl, and then you can get the black movement to be against you, against me. And you take a straight girl, then the LGBT movement can come against me. And I also have uh, a temper, I am very fierce, I fight with the police at the demos. I think it was revenge, a personal revenge of some politicians. And... It was easy to criminalize. 
for these reasons I told you, for being white. I think there were other candidates for this position. I got screwed in this one. Fuck me, fuck, fuck herself, fuck myself. Uh, how long were you in prison for? No, I was arrested twice in Bangu. Bangu 8. It's a prison, it's the biggest prison here in Rio. And it's considered one of the worst in Brazil. I was in 6 days and 11 days. And I was 7 months clandestine. I received an arrest warrant with my face. It was a poster with my face on it, a wanted poster, with a reward of 2,000 reais. And every Sunday on TV at Fantástico, this TV show, and in the newspapers, and so on. It was really difficult to go through this. It wasn't easy to go to Bangu prison, but it was much harder to stay seven months clandestine because all of Brazil knew me and I was hiding in cubicles. Um, so since being out of jail, what has your life been like? Are you still being... A hell. <laughs> hell? Are you still being persecuted? Are you still getting targeted by the state, by the police, any other groups or anything like that? Brazil has inside Brazilian system. I'm not going to say peculiar because other Latin American countries also live with this. But in Brazil we have several powers. We have the militia, the police, the police, the militia, the media, the actual state with the judiciary. So I was persecuted from all sides. So when I was with habeas corpus, I was condemned to seven years in prison. So when I was in habeas corpus, the militia was pushing me out of the state with gun to my head. When I was at home, the media was putting my picture everywhere. So in these last seven years, the first four or five, I didn't have time to be me. I was this character, Sininho, Tinkerbell. How important are these types of events for organizing in the face of what seems to be huge amount of what seems to be like right-wing power in this country? Since Bolsonaro elected himself, elected himself. I didn't vote for him. I'm an anarchist. I don't vote. Since 2013, the activists live in attention of getting sued and, and so on. But it's different when a fascist, an assumed fascist like Trump, but the difference with Trump is that at least Trump is a businessman. He thinks something. He plans things out. Our thing is this. He doesn't think. He shits shit. He's a fascist. I don't know what's going on. A shit. Leonardo DiCaprio is a fire to the Amazon. Greta is a brat. 
the natives made the price of meat rise. But on the other hand, aside from him being a shit, he's really powerful because he managed through the hate speech empower these people who these fascists that were there sleeping or were ashamed of being fascists, homophobics, and so on. And now it's totally out of control, this fascism and this hate speech. So you say you're an anarchist and you don't vote. So what is your general attitude about the establishment left and, the, and PT and the party? Like, Do you see there's any way that these the establishment or anti-establishment left could ever come together? Is there any way that they can reconcile or is that not something you're interested in? I'm going to tell you a secret. <laughs> I didn't vote. But I tried to get people to switch their votes. Yeah, so everywhere you see, I publicly and social media, I'm always campaigning against him, against Bolsonaro, against these fascists. During elections, I didn't know what to do. I thought I was going to get arrested and tortured and maybe assassinated. We thought a lot about whether we should stay here, what we were going to do. I was really scared, really. And I ended up campaigning a lot against him. But I didn't vote. Because I think the problem in Brazil is a problem of political system. And, yeah, not, not in Brazil. I think 2013 was also something that uh, made us question who represents us. This capitalist system, this new liberal system in the world. Yes, and they're not going to make change, real change, or a revolution. I think we need a revolution, and not just in Brazil, but in the world, in the whole world, you know, in the environmental question, in the indigenous question in all of Latin America. And that's it. I think poverty and the genocide only increases and it's only going to continue increasing because the fascist power is also increasing a lot. And for me, I mean, I'm going to continue on the streets, although, again, still not knowing what, much what to do, feeling a little lost. I think events like this are empowering. Okay. Hey there, thanks for listening. If you would like to support this project monetarily, here are a few options. You can send a one-time donation through PayPal. Go to paypal.me slash lastbornpodcast, and you can treat that a bit like a tip jar. If you like this episode or any other episode of this podcast in particular, consider throwing a few bucks Patrick's way. That would be really helpful. And... If you would really like to sustain this work and support this project more regularly, consider supporting this project through Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash lastborninthewilderness and donate to the production of this podcast for $1 or more a month. And by doing that, 
You'll gain early access to these interviews and discussions before the official public release. As the great psychedelic bard Terrence McKenna said, take it easy, dude, but take it.